Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here in St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. A prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately negligible things. The door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 1943, a letter to his parents in November of that year. He speaks from experience. Bonhoeffer was uh, put into prison by the uh, Nazi regime. He had been speaking out against uh, Der Fuhrer ideology since the early 30s as he saw the people uh, listening to Hitler like a god and believing that they should follow him anywhere he goes. And of course, that led to war. And he, along many others, spoke out against uh, what was going on in Germany, and he was put into prison. And there he learned some things, some things he already knew, but you don't learn it until you do it. You don't learn some things unless you do it. And that has a lot to do with theology, actually, what we know about God, what we're given in God, whether it's forgiveness or the promise of eternal life or God's providence. We know it. We don't learn it until we go through it and utilize it. You don't learn about faith unless you have to use it. You don't learn about God's mercy unless you really need him to forgive you. And you don't learn about hope unless you go without it for a while. And there Bonhoeffer learned about Christmas and he learned about Advent. He learned about waiting. It must have been very tough for him being away from family and friends to be alone, to be in the inside, to be absolutely dependent upon someone freeing him from the outside. And Bonhoeffer lived in a hope that he would be freed. He hoped that the trial would work out in his favor. He hoped that the war would end. He learned to hope, to depend on the future. How's your waiting and hoping going this Advent? You know, Isaiah writes to the people of Israel who might very well be familiar with how Bonhoeffer's feeling. They had been taken from the promised land, from their homes, from their country, from their property, stolen when the Babylonians took over and brought back to, to Babylon and kept there in exile, not allowed to go back 
split from family or friends. Speaking of Germany, probably sounds a lot like when the wall was suddenly put up in the 60s. And for decades, friends and family immediately broken up for good. They, uh, they must have wondered where God was in their life, these exiles. And then they listened to Isaiah's words. Isaiah actually wrote this far, far long before this captivity, they call it, the Babylonian captivity. He actually prophesied that was going to happen, and then he prophesied that one day they'd be released. And so every day they would wake up and they'd probably look at these words and read Psalm 6, uh, Isaiah 61 again and again and again about this Messiah that's going to free them. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, which means appointed, chosen, selected. I'm the guy is what anointing means. Literally putting oil on someone and making it really clear this is the guy. He goes on, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know these words. You know about this hope. But you don't really know it until it's all you have. And then you start reciting these words more than maybe you did before. When you are the captive or when you see your captivity, your need, your absolute dependence on God's deliverance, these words start making a lot more sense, don't they? They did for Bonhoeffer. And they certainly did for the people of uh, Israel who waited and they learned to wait, and they learned to hope, and they learned to believe, despite what they saw. And eventually this came true. The people of Israel were released, in fact. They were let go when Persia, out of nowhere, defeated Babylon. And the people of Israel, for no reason, suddenly uh, the king of Persia decided to let them go back. But this great Messiah, this wonderful liberation is not about simply going back to your homeland. It was talking about, about something far greater. And that fulfillment of this prophecy occurred in the middle of the night. And the baby screamed. And a mom exclaimed in joy and a dad smiled. Jesus was born. And our new day dawned. And in the baptism in the Jordan River, when the dove came down upon Jesus, it was made clear he's the one. And this Jesus indeed was, wasn't he? He bound up the brokenhearted. He hung out with people who knew what it meant to depend on something from the outside because their life had demonstrated they were captives to their passions, to their mistakes, to their mortality. He hung around the blind and he hung around the prostitute and the exiles, the tax collectors, 
the people that uh, could not claim themselves to be their own saviors, but most especially this Jesus hung out with those who definitely could not say anything about themselves as they too were on the cross, mortal and public sinners, absolutely depending someone from the outside to save them. Ironically, it was the one hanging to their left and their right, Jesus, in their place, literally, dying for the people of Israel, for you, for me, for Mary, for Joseph, for all sinners, and taking away our punishment, the chain of our existence, the consequence of our sins that pulls us down, not just in our daily life, but ultimately in death. Christ consumed it was enslaved by it as he gave up his spirit for us and releases you from the consequence of your sin, from the punishment of your sins. Hell is not for you. God will not repay you for the ways you treated one another, let alone yourself. Jesus took it all. You are free. And that same Jesus rose again from the dead. And he sent this church to do that, to go and free people. That's what it means to make a disciple. It means to tell them that the war is over, that their guilt and their shame has been taken by God himself. They don't need to fear the consequence, the long-term eternal consequence of their sin. And not only that, this Jesus rose again from the dead. He's the Lord of the living And he will raise you up too. Talk about freeing someone who's captive because the ultimate captivity is our passions. We're slaves to. And death. And Christ releases you of both of those. Do not fear. I love this language here. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Years, not just a year. This is symbolic. It's we are living in the year of the Lord's favor. Even us. We get to call the creator of the universe, God, our father. We get to know that he provides for us, despite ourselves, takes care of us, loves us. Year of the Lord's favor, right? We've been given that favor. But we don't know about, we don't know this until we need it. You don't appreciate it until it's all you got. God has blessed us with this pandemic to realize exactly that. If you're trusting in government, well, they just argue amongst themselves, if anything. And I hope things get better and they, they likely... They probably will, but I think we've seen that it could all fall apart. This pandemic has demonstrated that we're mortal. And we need somebody from the outside to save us. 
we need this this uh the one who's been anointed this Jesus and we need to speak these words to one another when we see each other down and tell each other not just what God has done but what he is going to do that it's going to be okay that he will raise us up that this pandemic will be over that all of our troubles and challenges and our frustrations and our inability to get along will one day change in the blink of an eye when the same Christ is revealed and all that you believe in you will see but for now we learn to live with hope like Bonhoeffer and depend on it and drop our hopes and everything else and just keep on looking at that door waiting for it to be opened. You know, it really helps when it comes to waiting and believing promises. It really helps is to look back and see if the one who's promised you something has come through in the past. I think we can say that for sure about God. From creation to Abraham, who did get his own land and the nation did grow, to the uh, people of Israel who were in exile, who were brought back just as God said they would be, to, to Moses and the Israelites who were delivered from slavery and brought to the promised land, to Daniel who was delivered from the lion's den, to Jesus who did rise from the dead. Pretty good track record. The one who promises you that it's going to be okay is the one who has proven to you without a doubt he loves you. Bonhoeffer didn't quite make it. April, I think, 6th, 1945, he was hung. Days before the end of the war, before he would be released by the Allies, never saw that temporal freedom. But I can promise you, and it's evident in his writings, that he was freed a long time ago. And that no prison, no Nazis, no enemies could take that away. Even though he was behind the walls, he had the freedom of being loved by God, of having the promise of God, of being forgiven of his sins, and given the hope of the resurrection that was far more powerful than opening up a prison door. And we have that same freedom while we wait. May we be inspired by that same hope and that same joy while we wait for greater things to come. And may you encourage each other in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Rejoice in me.